Hello, lovelies. I'm Valeria, and this is Have Murder, Will Travel. Hiya, how's it going? I'm still experiencing a big morbid boost in my downloads, and I keep getting wonderful emails from you guys, so thank you. Thank you for listening. Thank you for emailing. I think I've replied to them all, but sometimes I think I replied and I didn't. It's like texting. If I didn't reply to your email, I'm very, very sorry, but know that I did read it and I loved it. Thank you. Also, you guys don't have to exclusively send me complimentary emails, although I'm not complaining. If you want to send me emails that tell me I suck, I might not read them, but feel free to send them. If I say something wrong, like mispronounce something or factually wrong, let me know. I'm always down to learn. You can send me case and country suggestions as well. I am open to whatever you want to send. I've also been getting a lot of questions about myself, and I realized that I never sort of properly introduced myself to you guys. I'm gonna give you a little intro of me before we start the case, so if you don't give two shits who I am, you're like, tell me about murder, you podcast monkey. That's cool. Skip ahead a few minutes because I'm about to say hello. Everyone else? Howdy. If you came from Morbid, then you know Valeria is not my real name. It is my stage name, and one day I hope to make it my legal name. I want to be a working actor, dancer, writer. I've been dancing most of my life, mostly ballet and point, still dance a couple times a week, and I teach dance to children three times a week. I have a degree in theater performance. I'm from the St. Louis area, but on the Illinois side. I love writing. I want to publish a novel one day. When my best friend and I were 11, we challenged each other to write a book, and we both did. They were about 100 pages, so, you know, not really a book. We were 11. We thought it was cool. I still have them. I think hers is pretty decent still, but mine, whew, the plot holes. Yikes. I even started a sequel. Like, it was going to be a whole series delusional. You could say that I was in a true crime and dark shit as a kid because my novel, air quotes, involved girls witnessing a murder and then having to go on the run from some gangsters. And then later in the series, there was more violence and dark secrets. Maybe I call my mom soaps. I don't know. I didn't know I was into true crime growing up though. I would just say weird dark shit. Like if someone got a new car, I'd comment on how many bodies would fit in the trunk. Or anytime I went somewhere, I would comment on how many people had probably been murdered there or how easy it would be to murder someone there. Probably why I didn't have a lot of friends. As an adult, I discovered crime documentaries and podcasts and I realized that I wasn't some creepy weirdo. I mean, okay, I might be a creepy weirdo, but I'm not alone. A lot of other creepy weirdos. During COVID, there was obviously not a lot of theater and dance opportunities as we were all stuck at home. That's when I decided to get two master's degrees that I just finished. I got an MBA and an MS in marketing. They don't seem to be helping in the job search, but we'll get there. I love going to plays and dance shows. I go all the time. I also love going to the movies. I go about once a week. And I'm a film snob. I know that. I admit it. I own it. I like to see arty films, foreign films. I'm real into the Oscars. But I do like action hero stuff, superheroes, all that jazz. I just, I don't do comedies and I don't do horror, which probably seems kind of odd given the nature of this podcast. I also love traveling around the world, and that's why I decided to do an international true crime podcast, because I get to learn about different places, different cultures, and talk about murder. Perfection. 
that's it. That's me. That's probably more than you wanted to know. I'm going to shut up about me now, and we're going to get to the case. I'm sure you saw the title since you clicked on the episode. Then you know that we are going to Namibia, and we are going to be discussing the B1 Butcher. I started the episode by saying hello because English is the official language in Namibia. They also speak Afrikaans, and hello in Afrikaans is just alo with an A instead of an E. But the last time I started an episode by saying alo, I see, there's the accent again. I become some kind of extra from Pirates of the Caribbean, and I didn't want to subject you guys to that again. You're welcome. So we went with just hello. To Namibia we go. I'm going to keep it real with you guys. Until a few years ago, all I knew about Namibia was that it was the country in Africa where Brad Pitt and Angelina Jolie gave birth to their daughter. That probably tells you all you need to know about me. At the beginning of 2020, though, I was thinking about going to Africa because it's one of the continents I haven't been to yet. And I'd narrowed down my vacation destination to a few countries, and Namibia was one of them. I didn't end up going to Africa because of the pandemic, but I did do research when I was still thinking I would go. And I learned a lot about Namibia. It's actually a really cool-ass country, big, sparsely populated, and there are lots of animals, like the big animals. There's black rhinos. They're actually home to the largest black rhino population in the world. The Namib Desert that the country is named after is actually the oldest desert in the world. So yeah, it's a pretty cool fucking place. Our killer today is called the B1 Butcher because the remains of the victims were found along the B1 Highway. This highway runs the entire length of the country from South Africa to Angola. Fair warning, this case is pretty rough. Lots of uh, gnarly happenings in this one. Decapitation, dismemberment, just a bunch of awful, heavy stuff. You've been warned. The morning of August 20th, 2005, a mutilated female corpse was found near the B1. The body showed signs that it had been kept cold somewhere, either in a refrigerator or freezer. The naked body was later identified as 22-year-old Milani Jens. She had been strangled. Milani worked as a sex worker, and unfortunately, that seems to be who this asshole targets. These sickos always do that. Like, they pick out the most vulnerable population and target them. It's like bullies pick out the smallest person. Pick on someone your own size. These people are downtrodden enough. Leave them the fuck alone. A month later, on September 25th, around 8 a.m., near the engine fuel station along the B1, a headless female corpse was found. The head had been removed at the base of the neck, and here's, to me, the most chilling part of this discovery, this body had no defensive wounds whatsoever. The police couldn't even determine the cause of death because there were no wounds on the body. How the fuck do you kill someone without leaving any defensive wounds? This had to be some kind of blitz attack from behind, I guess. Can you imagine? It, it's bad enough. You find a decapitated body, but somehow finding one with no wounds on it seems worse to me. I don't know why, but if I found a body, hope I never do, but if I did, I would expect it to have some wounds on it, signs of a struggle, something. I don't like this. Do not like this at all. This body was eventually identified as 21-year-old 
Juanita Mabula. Juanita was also a sex worker who had been seen around the fuel station around 3 or 4 a.m. That means her entire attack, decapitation, all of that only took four to five hours. That's scary. I've never decapitated someone, but I feel like it would take a bit of time. And then the whole killing, dumping the body seems like it should take more than four or five hours. I don't know. Definitely seems like we're dealing with somebody who has done this sort of thing before, probably to be able to do all this so quickly. Also, I want to know, did this person kill this woman out in the open and then just walk away with the head? Or do they have some kind of home or office? What is going on? A few weeks go by, cops still have no leads, no suspects, no evidence. They haven't even connected these two cases yet. They were working them as two separate cases. I kind of get that because, you know, first one wasn't decapitated, second one was. But I'm also like, guys, decapitation seems like it's just like a escalation of mutilation. So, I don't know, maybe connect the dots. The police were trying, though. I'm going to give them that. They were trying to solve both these cases, so much so that they actually offered a $20,000 Namibian dollar reward for information. Unfortunately, they never got any tangible leads, just lots of calls from assholes making shit up to try and get the reward. Don't ever be one of those assholes. Ever. Ever. What is the point of that anyway? When you're just bored at home and you're like, you know what I should do? should call the cops and tell them I know stuff about a crime. Do do you think they're not going to check? They're going to know you're lying. Like, that's just dumb. Waste of fucking time. Almost a full month goes by, still nothing, and then the head from the second body was found near a B1 bypass. The head was wrapped in a plastic bag, and it was later identified as belonging to the second body of Juanita. With the head, police were able to finally determine her cause of death. She had actually died from blunt force trauma. Like I said before, it seems that it was indeed a surprise sort of blitz attack from behind, and that's why there were no defensive wounds on the body. Now nothing happens. The case again runs cold. They have no evidence still. They are not getting any leads. The only kind of good thing is there's also no new bodies popping up for a while. If you know anything about true crime and serial killers, you know that most of them have a cooling off period. They take a little break. And I guess that's what this was. Although this seems like an awfully long cooling off period because nothing happens until 2007. A full year and a half go by. And I mean, sure, there have been killers that have taken longer breaks, longer cooling off periods. So it is possible. It's also the possibility there's other victims that we don't know about. Maybe the killer was indisposed or, you know, in jail for something else. We just don't know. As far as we know, nothing happens for about a year and a half, including nothing happening with the investigation. Because again, no evidence, no leads. Unfortunately, like I said, these women were sex workers, so they probably lived kind of transient lifestyles, not a lot of stability or patterns for the police to say, well, she was here, who was there too, kind of don't know where they were. Then on May 17th, 2007, a bisected torso was found in some garbage bags by the B1. The bisection had been done very well. It seemed to have been done by someone with anatomical slash medical knowledge, a doctor, butcher, something like that. Very Jack the Ripper. 
On June 20th, some workers from the Star Precast Company found two human thighs in a trash bin near a rest stop along the B1. Human thighs. The thighs had been frozen and they were wrapped in black plastic. You're just doing your job and that's what you find. Makes you want to never go to work again, doesn't it? The thighs belonged to the torso that had been found on the 17th. It did take a while for them to actually determine that the thighs went with the torso because unfortunately the DNA tests to prove this are not, weren't actually done in Namibia at the time. I don't know if they are now. Juanita Mabula's body parts had actually been sent to Canada for testing. And these body parts, there was talk they were going to send them to South Africa for testing. They were eventually tested. The test did come back. The thighs belong to the torso. One of the thighs had a scar from a bullet wound. This led to the identification of the body as that of Sana Helena Guerreros. Sana had last been seen four days before the torso was found. She was last seen near a restaurant along the B1. And here's a freaky kind of coincidence, maybe. I'm not sure. Sana had actually known the first victim, Milani. They knew each other. Kind of makes you wonder if this killer maybe knew them, maybe traveled in that social circle. Really, really makes you wonder. For Sana's murder, the police offered a $60,000 Namibian dollar reward. Still, no leads, no evidence. We're just finding women's body parts, not making any progress. Naturally, this means the country is in a panic, but I kind of feel like the local media was stirring the pot a bit too. One local paper I found said, quote, Strange things do happen, and they are happening in our country, but this one is not just strange. It is out of this world. It is neither here nor there. When a man acts worse than a beast, only God knows what he is. Words fail us. The beast has unleashed an orgy of terror against our people, and hell has descended upon us. I love the phrase, orgy of terror. But how fucking dramatic is this newspaper? It reminds me of the old-timey papers that were extra as fuck with their headlines. Except this is not old. This is from this century. Again, I, I understand this is a scary time. It's a terrifying time. Somebody's out there just murdering people. But I don't think the right call is for the paper to kind of stir that up. Maybe just report the facts and calm it down a little. Just take a deep breath. Maybe don't say things like, Hell have descended upon us. Seems seems like you're just panicking people. Although again, A plus for the phrase orgy of terror. That will stick with me. Unfortunately, more body parts were found along the B1. This time, the remains were not even together. They would find a few pieces here, and then a few kilometers away, there'd be some more pieces, and so on, just all along the highway. This is awful. Bad enough that this monster has killed people and dismembered them, but now he's what, like driving down the highway and tossing out body parts like confetti? What a sick motherfucker. Unfortunately, these remains from the fourth victim have never been identified. Still, to this day, that was what, 16 years ago? Sorry, had to do some head math and it was hard. Yeah, 16 years, no identification of the body. That's more, almost more upsetting to me than anything, because you know there's someone who misses that person. There was someone who loved them. They were someone. They deserve to 
be known. Their families, friends deserve that closure. It just oh, it pisses me off. On July 11th, more of Sana's remains were found. Some farm workers who were just working on a fence found her head and lower legs. Again, more people just trying to do their fucking jobs. That's it. None of us are going to work tomorrow. Nope. Just call your boss in the morning and say, I can't go. The podcast told me I couldn't. Let me know how that works out. These body parts that were found had also been refrigerated or frozen. It was initially reported and actually still is in a lot of sources that each of Sana's feet were missing their three middle toes. But I found a newspaper article where they talked to her mother and her mom said all of her toes were there. Not sure how or why that rumor got started. The dismemberment is bad enough. We don't need to make stuff up to make it worse. It's already horrible. Her family wanted to actually wait to bury her because it's an African tradition that a person can't find peace unless they're buried whole and they still didn't have her arms. It was also reported that Sana had been a sex worker like the others, but in the same article with her mother, her mother said that she didn't think she was a sex worker. As far as she knew, Sana would just go into town looking for a job to help support the family. So there's a chance this sick fuck might just be grabbing random girls off the street now, not just picking up sex workers, although both are awful. This is when the police finally were like, hmm, maybe these cases are connected. Hmm, maybe we have like a serial killer. So yeah, they finally figured that one out, which is great, except we still have no leads. Then part of a fifth set of remains was found along the B1. Like the fourth victim, these remains have never been identified. Then a break came in the case. In August, a German named Heinz Kinnerman was arrested for rape and attempted murder. He allegedly picked up a woman, and while driving her home, he stopped the car and raped her. Then he tried to slit her throat. She fought him and got away. A newspaper article about his arrest said that she ran naked into the road and was able to flag down a trucker for help. It was also reported that Heinz surrendered himself to the police the next day. Police suspected he may have been the B-1 butcher trying to make this woman his sixth victim. He was held for two years without bail and finally released in February 2010 due to lack of evidence. When I first read about this guy, I was like, what a piece of fucking shit. Even if he's not the butcher, he's still a disgusting rapist pig. Turns out, it was all made up. And the real piece of shit is his supposed victim, and he is the actual victim. What actually happened was that he picked this woman up at a bar, even though he's married. Then they stopped somewhere to have another drink. I guess that's what we're calling it now. And then two men attacked him from the bushes and robbed him. He tried to fight him off because he thought they were going to kill him, and that's when the woman joined in on the attack. He had gone to the police station the next day not to turn himself in, but to report the crime. He'd gone there to file charges against his attackers, but instead was arrested, thrown in jail for two years, and accused of being the B-1 butcher. He said he got beaten in jail because people thought he was the butcher. Supposedly, the police even went to his home and told his wife that she was married to the B-1 butcher. Now, when you first hear this story, you're like, okay, I'm sure she made it up. 
That's what they all say. Except this woman later admitted it. She said that one of the men that came out of the bushes and attacked him was her boyfriend. She also said she dropped the charges if Hines paid her the right amount of money. Turns out the only thing he was guilty of was being a cheating shit husband. Actually, I feel bad for that guy. I really do. But now, the cops are unfortunately back at square one. This is the other thing that pisses me off. First of all, this bitch filed a false rape allegation. Don't do that shit. Most of them are not false. But don't do that because then that's what people who love to say, false rape allegations, they're going to point at shit like this. But get fucked. Most of them aren't false. But don't do that. Also, she wasted the police time. The police probably kind of cooled off their investigation. They were like, oh, we have the guy. And now he's out. He didn't do anything. The cops are back at square one. Zero lead, zero suspects. And she just wasted everyone's time. Like, fuck off. The final victim, our fifth victim, her head and arms were found in trash bags behind the state hospital in September 2007. It was then determined that her cause of death was from having her throat slit. This is when the remains of the fifth victim were briefly identified. They were identified as belonging to 30-year-old Jacoba William Oliver. Wilma had a 10-year-old son who lived with her mother. She visited home regularly, but her family actually hadn't seen her in about three years. Her family went and viewed these remains, and her mother said, that's my daughter. They identified the remains as Wilma. Guess what, though? Wilma was actually alive and doing just fine. She'd been in the hospital, not sure what for, and while in the hospital, her boyfriend saw an article about her being dead, and he brought it to her and was like, hey, uh, people think you were murdered. She immediately went to the police, went all Mark Twain, the rumors of my death have been greatly exaggerated, and she reunited with her mom. Her mom genuinely thought that her daughter had been murdered. To be fair, the remains were mutilated and badly decomposed, so I don't think her mom did this intentionally. I don't think she was trying to falsely lead the police or anything like that. She was in pain. She literally thought her daughter had been murdered, but instead they were reunited. At least we have one happy point in this story, but unfortunately, that means the fifth victim, like the fourth victim, remains unidentified. This is when Namibia realized that they may be in over their head a bit, so they called in a team from South Africa. Three experts from South Africa came in to help. This South African team had actually just caught Moses Sidholi, who I want to cover one day, he's fucked, but they just caught him, so hope was high that they'd be able to catch the B1 butcher too. People in Namibia were really starting to wonder if the cops were equipped to handle such crimes since they made no progress. These type of crimes don't happen a lot in Namibia, so people were wondering, did the cops even know how to investigate a murderer? It was bad. They bring in the South African team. Everyone's like, oh, okay, brought in the real boys. We know what's going on now. Unfortunately, the South African team made as much progress as the Namibian team. Still no leads, still no suspects. Then in 2008, the cops announced that they suspected the butcher may be a man named Hans Husselman. Hans had murdered before. He had served two life sentences for two murders in the past, but he had been released in 2004. The B1 butcher killings started in 2005. The second victim, Juanita Mabula's DNA, was actually found in his apartment. 
his DNA was found on a letter that had been sent to the cops about the case. Hans killed himself in 2007 before he could be officially charged. The cops later said the DNA evidence was inconclusive. When I first heard this, I was like, um, no, that, that's not how DNA works. It's a science. DNA doesn't lie. But I looked into it a bit more. And it turns out it wasn't necessarily his DNA on the letter. I guess there wasn't enough DNA or saliva or whatever to get a full match. So instead, they were only able to make a partial profile. This partial profile did match Hans, but it could also match thousands of other people. As far as her DNA being in his apartment, the cops actually said since she was a sex worker, maybe her DNA was there from when she had been there conducting business. That seems a little far-fetched and convenient to me. I, I think her DNA was there because I think he did it. I can say that because he's dead. I think he was the guy. He'd murdered before. He was released just before the killing started. He killed himself when the evidence started piling up. That seems super suspicious. Another thing, no other murders occurred after his death. Death would be a real good reason to stop killing. The only thing that gives me a bit of pause about him being the butcher is the precision of the dismemberment. Although he did take a lot of first aid classes in prison, so he had like a minuscule amount of anatomy knowledge. I, I still kind of think he did it. In 2008, the police actually said, quote, We're not saying he is the murderer, but we are also not saying he is not the murderer. The cops think he did it. I think he did it. Hans was the villain in Frozen. Makes sense he'd be the villain here, right? Unfortunately, this is where the case stands. Hopefully, we get some kind of break with DNA and such. But for now, it's officially unsolved. Although, is it really? Mm -hmm. Is it? That's all I'm going to say, but is it? Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe wherever you get your podcast. You can follow the podcast on Facebook at Have Murder Will Travel Podcast. You can follow the podcast on Instagram at Have Murder Will Travel. I always post pictures from the case. You can send me an email at havemurderwilltravel at gmail.com. Tune in next week to see where we travel next. Until then, don't forget to explore the world and stay alive. Bye.